Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Marketing, Management, and Money. This is your host, Ethan Migliori, and uh, your other host with us today is Ryan Murray. Do you realize that every time you introduce, it's, <laughs> welcome, everybody, to... Because <sighs> money should be first. <laughs> it's, it's like money, painful. Money should be first. You know how many listeners we lose every single time you do that sigh? There's like, well, if he's not into it, I'm not into it either. <laughs> Oh, I can see this is going to be a fun episode. (laughs) (laughs) So the subject we wanted to talk today was around decision-making, but decision-making when we have little information or possibly even bad information. Yeah. But a lot of times we we run into those scenarios in business where you have to make a decision and and data isn't always there, you know, because generally when we... We try to make a decision. We have a little a bit of intuition, that gut feeling from experiences and education and other things like that, that we've, you know, skills we build up. But then you have the whole reason side of it, which mm-hmm. is the facts and the figures. And But sometimes you've got to make a decision. Yeah. yeah and if you don't always have facts and figures, uh, how do you, how, you know, what's the process? What are some thoughts? How do you go through that to, in order to make the best decision you possibly can? And that, you know, sometimes we... We play this off as just run with it, but but there's a lot of logic behind some stuff, you know, as we talk about the subject that I think has some value for the listeners. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as we've been looking at this, so there are actually several topics that we've kind of bounced back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of those might start to bleed into this and we might, you know, we might broaden you know, decision-making into just, you know, like management styles or how to look out for, you know, bad management or mistakes or things like that. Um, but I, 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 I want to just kick it off with uh, this concept of throughout this podcast, we've actually done a lot on decision-making, execution, data, you know, data-driven decisions. And the the way that I'm looking at this right now is I'm kind of putting some, you know, some real-time scenario to this. Like, what really happens? Uh, Because a a lot of the stuff, you know, when we start talking about decisions, we sort of paint this picture of, well, you know, after you've reviewed all the market research and, you know, you've gotten together with your management team and you've really, you know, decided what you need to do, uh, what kind of got me thinking about this was, uh, so I, I, I was actually working with a business. I was doing some, uh, some side consulting here recently and started asking them some questions and they pulled up their financials. And I looked at those financials and I'm just like, how good are these financials? <laughs> They're like, well, we're, 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 we're trying to get there. And, you know, and so I felt torn because the financials, they weren't bad. Like they, they kept financial records, but the, the way that they were interpreting these financials, I could see it was skewing their decisions. And so part of me wanted to say, hey, you know what? Just, just don't even use the financials. But that goes against everything. Right, yeah. You know, but then... But if, if the financials are bad data... Yeah, and, and it wasn't that, see, I want to be clear here. It wasn't that the accounting was wrong. It was that A plus B doesn't always equal C. And so, you know, if you look at, if you look at the trends in, in financials, 
sometimes you have some things that are are a little bit misleading. You know, you'll right. you'll, you'll you'll have so so for example, you might have a, a situation where you're managing inventory down, and you're looking at that, and you're saying, hey. <clears throat> look at this. Our inventory turns, they're actually improving. You know, we're managing that inventory down. And, and then, you know, I asked the question of, well, and this is actually what happened. This isn't hypothetical. This is, you know, what happened when I was looking with this company. Uh, you know, I asked the question of, do you have enough inventory to manage all of your sales growth? You know, like, have, have, you, right. have you aligned your inventory with your sales? Or are you just looking at that inventory getting managed down? And so they were getting this skewed perception of inventory and cash flow. And they were, you know, they, they were making some bad decisions about that. So I try and sit down with the management team and I try and explain to them what's going on. Well, the challenge is, you know, I've got a, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got a master's degree. My undergrad is in finance. I've got years of experience. And so I'm just talking about this. And I'm just like, hey, you need to do this, 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 this. And they're kind of looking at me like, huh, what, you know, and by the time you water it down, it changes meaning. Right. And, and, and so that's, that's what got me thinking about this whole decision-making process is, okay, you know, do you, where, where do you go with something like that? Do you, do you give them bad information so that they understand <laughs> it? Do you give them the right information and they just stare at you deer in the headlights? Do you, but what if, yeah, let's flip the coin a little bit because what if you're that company? What if you're that person in that shoes? Because that's, you know, that's the approach that, you know, it's one thing to sit as the consulting side of it. It's the other one to say, okay, I'm in my business now. And um, if if some information comes across and it potentially has a, you know, uh, an effect on the business where we need to make a decision, whether that's the vendors, because, you know, you deal with vendors, whether it's employees, whether it's operations, whether it's customers, because, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's there's a broad range of <clears throat> decisions that affect us every day in business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, I, you know, how do you start? Because that's, I mean, that's a question that a lot of business owners get into, but I find that if there's some uncertainty, then, then that default of not making a decision comes into place, but not making a decision is a decision. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, I, whether people like it or not, um, studies have shown, you know, and I deal with more of some of that, um, characteristic side of thing, emotional intelligent type of stuff, but studies, studies show flat right out that, um, uncertainty, uh, is, is, uh, brutal on, on the human body, you mm-hmm. know, that that's, one of the most stressful things that people deal with is uncertainty. Yeah. Well, so this is interesting. Uh, and I don't remember where I read this, but I've actually heard it from a couple different sources. And that is the human brain. If it cannot connect the dots, it will fill in the blank with anything that it needs to fabricate so that it can connect the dots. So if you yeah. start thinking yeah. of things like space has no end, you know, outer space has no end to it. And the human brain cannot comprehend what no end means. And so, you know, your brain will come up with some sort of explanation, whether it's accurate or not, just because right. it, it, can't, it can't handle that uncertainty, that unknown, uh, you know, yeah. and so you'll start to fill well, in the blanks. Um, for the listeners, if you want to understand it at a, a real 
personal, intimate level, go and read Crucial Conversations Mm -hmm. because they talk about that when we get into those uncertainties, a lot of times we make up those stories, which means now when we go into those conversations or go to make decisions, the story becomes real to us. So it skews how we view things, making it harder to maintain good relationships because we're, we're bringing baggage in that doesn't even exist and isn't real because we've created a story in order to fill those gaps. So, so this is, this is funny. Um, I actually, <clears throat> I've started doing some, uh, some research, personal research on highly sensitive persons. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you've, I've heard you talk about and, it. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't realize uh, that I actually would be considered an HSP is how they, you know, how they mm-hmm. classify it because, you know, I tend to be very confident, a little bit on the arrogant side, and uh, people are like, uh, how can you be highly sensitive? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I actually am. I meet all the criteria of a highly sensitive person. Well, uh, highly sensitive people and narcissists tend to connect you know, like they, they tend to end up in relationships together because the narcissist will play off of the uh, HSP. And so I started doing some, uh, you know, some reading up on narcissism and super fascinating. But one of the interesting things about narcissism is there's no definitive way to know if someone's a narcissist or not. There's not like a blood test that will right. say, oh, you're a narcissist. And there are narcissistic tendencies that are actually very healthy. And so there's not a narcissist out there who's going to say, well, I'm the negative narcissist. They all think that they're the positive <laughs> narcissist. You know, I'm the, I'm the healthy narcissist. And when you're talking about these, you know, crucial conversations and uncertainties and making up the story, I'm like, how many times do we get in a management decision-making process where we are the narcissist and we basically are making up the story so that our decisions are making sense. Like, you know, there's a lot of very unhealthy attributes that can easily creep into a position of authority. Man, when you've got authority, you really have to check yourself. Oh, yes. You know, and you're the decision maker most of the time. If you have authority, you're making the decision. How are you checking yourself? You know, and who? (laughs) (laughs) So with that, where are we going? (laughs) Well, let's let's bounce back to... Um, let's say we are in a situation where we do need to make a decision. What are, what are some, uh, practices that we can apply, uh, that will help us to make better decisions when, when the data or the facts aren't always there. And and I think the first one we've kind of brought up and that is we need to make sure that we check the emotions Mm -hmm. of the scenario because emotions will lead to us creating those stories that don't really exist. Um, they can also, uh, force us to ignore uh, maybe information that does come across their table. And emotions aren't necessarily bad. It, you know, entrepreneurs are driven by emotions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so when we talk about emotions, it's, it's not that they're good or bad. We just need to make sure we understand which ones are taking place so that um, that when we need that positive energy to be driving us to, you know, to dig through and have a little show, a little bit of grit to get through it, mm-hmm. um, to have that growth that it's there. But at the same time that we're not allowing emotions to fabricate stuff that aren't true either. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to pull in right now is what I call the balance of power. It's a tool that I like to use in decision-making. And that is that I should never have absolute say, 
Right. I I should be able to act effectively. And so, you know, decisions need to be made, but there should be a way for some balance of power to override my decision. It doesn't have to be an easy process. In fact, you don't want it to be an easy process because you don't want people to casually override, you know, decisions. But there has to be a balance of power. So, for example, uh, you know, like if you are the CEO of a company – and you've got a management team, you know, like you, you've got, uh, you know, a CMO, a CFO, a CTO, you know, whatever. Like, so, so you, you've got three or four people on your management team and you're the boss. Well, I always look at it and I say, hey, that CEO can make a decision. But if the collective management team feel differently, they should trump the CEO. Even if the CEO has 100% ownership of the company. I don't think it matters. You know, they right. like and if, and if you can't trust that they will do that prudently, then you've got the wrong management team. Like that's a huge red flag in my book. Well, or or you've created a culture where they're not going to question you. That's yeah, another yeah. red flag there. Yeah, you know, and 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 so I look at it. I'm like, what's your balance of power? When can you you know be trumped? And how often does that happen? If it hasn't happened in you know like probably once a year or something like that. Uh, there's not there's not a healthy balance of power in your organization. Yeah, good advice. So this is one that uh, I always default to when uncertainty comes and I need to make a decision, and that is, as humans, we tend to say, okay, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you change that should to a could, what could oh. I do? What could I do? What could I do? Kind of a thing. You know, what, 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 what can I do? Uh, it forces you now to look at options um, and start to understand it from a different perspective. So that's one thing I recommend to most people is change a little bit of your language. Um, and that's the easiest one to kind of help understand is, and what should I do? Change it to what could I do? Now you, you come into it with a positive, uh, proactive approach. Uh, not that you know that you're going to find the right answer as soon as you start, you know, listening to your coulds, mm-hmm. but at least now you're getting away from the kind of the victim mentality. Is that, yeah. I don't know if I can uh, I, say that and be politically correct, but, but you get away from that victim, like, oh, what should I do? I feel paralyzed. Are, you know we, what I mean? are we politically correct on this show? Uh, sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but we try to not be, you know, like bigots, but I don't know. That. <laughs> yeah. So there, that's one that I really, I really liked. It's uh, allowed me to stay a little bit more proactive in my mm-hmm. decisions um, allowed my thought process to change, to think through the whole decision and scenarios and implications that are involved with it to, to help me better understand it. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So I actually want to pivot, but before we pivot, did you cover what, you know, like oh, yeah, un- uncertainty decision-making? Because I, I want to um, move to a different type of decision-making okay, here. Go ahead. Are, are we okay? Yeah. Okay. So there's there's the type of decision making that is you know it can be emotionally charged and mm-hmm. you got to check yourself you know uh, you don't want to be the victim you want to be proactive assertive all those kinds of things the decision making that I want to talk about here for a second is what happens when we just know that we don't have good information it's it's not it's not an emotional type of situation 
It's what do I do when I just flat out don't have good information? So uh, I'll, I'll give an example of what I'm talking about here, and then um, you know, then we'll kind of bring it in and you know get some some input, and some, some some thoughts that you have. But I'm going to bring it back to the financials because this is where I see this happen a lot. Most companies don't have great financials. Uh, in fact, few have what I would consider good financials. Uh, many have bad financials and some have horrible financials and a lot have no financials. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, if, if you were to, if you followed what I said and if you were to kind of like graph that bell curve out, it'd be a pretty small percentage that are going to be able to make decisions off of their financial statements. So in my opinion, and it's not just my opinion, there, you know, I, I would argue that the majority of experts will agree with this, and, and that is that your number one decision-making tool should be your financial statements. Like if you go to data, uh, I would put financial statements over market research uh, probably 80% of the time, you know. Um, and, and so I think looking internally and looking at, like, what your company is actually doing is, is absolutely critical. But the fact that, you know, financial statements are so bad, what do you do? You know, how do you make decisions when you know that you're, you're looking at reports that you're like, uh, these reports are skewed or. Well, and, he, and here's a huge warning because we see this all the time. Their financials are bad or they question them or there's some uncertainty there. So then they go back to, well, what, what's the industry standards? You know, what are other companies my size doing? <sighs> okay. And, and that's fine. But if you don't have your back end clean, that doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. because there's too many variables when you start talking about industry standards, because some industries, the range of businesses that they include in them are, are unreal. I mean, I've seen everything <laughs> from glue manufacturer to, um, you know, uh, girl, I, I, something I waited for you to, <laughs> I'm like, what, what are you going to go after with I, glue manufacturing? Well, to like appliance manufacturer. I mean, it's weird how sometimes they put just odd things in the same category that now you go, okay, well, what's the industry standard on that? Well, wait a minute, time out. If I'm an, you know, if I'm in appliances and their appliances, but now all of a sudden I see, Hey, there's a glue manufacturer in here and a shoe manufacturer in here. That makes no sense. Yeah. But that's how it works. Nakes codes a lot of times are pretty, Nakes or six, depending which one you want to use, are are sometimes too broad to where I'm comfortable even saying, well, use it because it's, no, let's clean up what you have first. Yeah. And and that's so interesting tangent. I've kind of moved away from uh, consulting businesses to use Nakes codes. I don't advise against it. You know, I, I think it's fine if you want to use an X code, but it's never my go-to right? because of that exact problem that w- what really started me down the path of thinking maybe this isn't working so well is when I was uh, working with a, a business that was a grocery store and a hardware store. Right. And, you yeah. know, I, I'm like, well pick your next code. And then there are those that are like, well, let's do the primary next code and secondary next code. And I'm like, Hmm. It sort of changes everything, and so yeah. you know, I, I I don't know that those are the those are the best best benchmarks. But what you know, so what I find the reason why most financials are screwed up 
it actually has nothing to do with the numbers. And that's why people have a hard time fixing it because they always want to fix the numbers. Right. It has to do with the timing and it has to do with the buckets. Like what bucket are you going to put something in? And when I'm teaching finance, I always talk about the buckets and I say, you know, you know, when you go and uh, help your, you know, you got like a, a, a you know, like a six-year-old and they're going to clean their room. And you tell them, you're like, go clean your room. And they go into their room. You check in on them 10 minutes later and they're just like laying on the floor, you know, like staring <laughs> at the ceiling or, you know, like they're not cleaning their room. And you're like, hey, I told you to clean your room. And you go check back on them and they're still not doing it. And you're like, why aren't you cleaning your room? I don't know how. And you're like, let me help you. Okay. And so what you do is you got your little bins and you tell them, you're like, let's take all of the clothes and just put them in the dirty clothes bin. Right? And they're like, I know how to do that. So they start putting all the clothes in the dirty clothes bin. But then they take their shoes and they go to throw it in the dirty clothes bin. And you're like, whoa, 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 those are shoes. They're clothes. Why am I not putting them in the, right. in the dirty clothes bin? And they're like, shoes go on the shelf. And now all of a sudden they're just like, well, that's not what you told me. You told me that clothes go in the dirty clothes bin. You know, and they're like, okay, we're going to take all the toys and we're going to put it in the, you know, the toys bin. And then we're going to take all the books and we're going to put them on the bookshelf. And so then they get to an activity book. And they're like, is that a toy or is that a book? You know, mm-hmm. and, and so it's the it's the little nuances in in finance that make it make it difficult for businesses. They come across something and they're just like, ah, oh, where do I put this? And when do I put this? Is what I see that really messes you know messes businesses up. And so they'll look at reports, and you'll have one person that looks at the report, and it's like, okay, are we talking about when the sale was made? Are we talking about when the sale was invoiced? You know, like. When, when we, like, you know, are we on a, a cash basis or an accrual basis? And are we thinking, you know, are, are we thinking accrual but actually accounting for it cash? You know, and I see those kinds of mistakes that happen all the time, right? And so you'll have people that they'll, they'll just get hung up on these little nuances in finance, and then they won't know how to make decisions from their financial statements. And so, again, I pose the question, what do you do? What do you do if you look at that report and you're like, I know that the numbers are off. Do I use it anyway? <laughs> I don't want to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but your your point is is accurate because, you know, as we, we counsel people, you know, that, that hey, as you're, as you're going through this process and you're trying to figure out what you want to do, um, you have barriers, and unfortunately, sometimes the barriers and the and the biggest barrier that I run into is generally time. That hey, I need to do something with this financials because I need to get a loan, or I've got to clean up something for a vendor, or I got taxes coming up. Well, now this barrier is also driving them to just do something mm-hmm. instead of doing it right. And then once they get it done, they don't come back and actually address the issue. That okay, we know that there was some. Uh, error in the decision, but now that we're not just trying to deal with that one barrier, that constraint, get it cleaned up. So mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things we, you know we recommend all the time is that yeah. So if you have to do something short term, that's fine, but it's okay to revisit it to make sure that you get it right, so that you're not stuck in the same scenario the next time it comes around. Yeah, yeah. So okay. The other thing that I want to talk about with this, you know, uh, and, and I think that's a really good point to say, you know, look at why you're doing something and revisit it if, if it wasn't done the way you need it to be done. But there are sometimes you just get stuck, absolutely stuck. The decision still has to be made. 
you know, and you want that information, but you don't have that information or the information that you got back, you know, and uh, maybe let's pivot instead of just focusing uniquely on financials. Let's go to market research here for a second, right? You get some uh, paid market research that Mm. uh, it comes back. And, uh, and by the way, if you're listening right now and you're like, man, I've never, never gotten paid market research. You probably should at some point. Yeah. Especially if you're wanting to grow. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that you have to go, it can get expensive, really expensive, but there's a ton of resources. I mean, check with your local university. They probably have access to some, some market research that's either free or low cost, you know? Uh, So anyway, so we're going to grab some market research and I get that information and I look at it and maybe the next codes are off, you know, right. right. Do I now use that information or do I say mm, the, the next codes are off? And so what am I going to do? And I, I, I want to point this out and this goes back to the same thing with, you know, the little boy cleaning his room. Consistency will trump accuracy in my opinion. I think it's more important yeah. to be consistent than to be accurate. So, you know, that example of the activity book, is it a toy or is it a book? And I'm like, pick one. I don't care which one you pick, but the next time, pick the same one. So Correct. if you're going to put it on the bookshelf, keep it on the bookshelf. And, you know, and so with market research, if I'm going to benchmark against NAICS codes, Use the same NAICS codes next time to benchmark against, even if they're completely wrong. So I do glue manufacturing. Was that glue manufacturing? Mm-hmm. Was that the example that you gave? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, glue manufacturing, and I'm going to compare that to, you know, agriculture. Man, they have nothing to do with each other. But as long as I am consistent, I will start to get benefit. I am not advising anyone to compare glue manufacturing to agriculture here. But... I'm saying that, you know, consistency will start to move you in a better or actually a great decision-making process. So if you don't have all the information, just keep making the same decisions. And as you make those decisions, don't hesitate to put a little bit of a documentation with it or a footnote or something. Uh, Mm -hmm. It goes a long way. there's There's a game that we use all the time to help people understand how your brain works. And... Um, in fact, I'll do it to you. You might, I've done it on you. So you may, this might be simple. So if you're listening, uh, follow along with me. Okay. Okay. So, the we deal with, these are the five smallest numbers that we ever deal with, but, um, it can become complex and overwhelming if it's, if, and I'll show you the scenario and you understand. So, but, but, um, and then I'll go to my point. All right. What's one plus two plus three plus four plus five? Uh, 15. Okay. Most people in your eyes are still looking in your head. Huh? Yeah. Like make sure that's right. Yeah. Okay. For the listeners, if you're still trying to do the math on it, that's the whole point is that those are the simplest numbers that we use on a daily basis. But all of a sudden you put them in a string and it becomes paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if, if I was to have you write those numbers down on paper instead of trying to do it in your head, write them down on paper, you, you literally spit the number out just like that because you're seeing it in the way your brain is able to, to process the information because of our schooling and education and upbringing and other things. You can do the math tw- uh, probably 10 times as fast for most people than trying to do it in your head, even though those are simple, simple numbers because one, you're trying to remember it, then you're trying to organize it, then you got to structure it, and then you got to give an answer. Does that make sense? So what was weird with me is when you, you haven't done that on me, okay. by the way, that's the first time. So 
I remembered one, two, three because one, two, three is so cliche. You know, everything's one, two, three. Yeah. And I remembered five because it was the tail end. I forgot four. And so, you know, you said, what is it? And I instinctively knew that because I've actually added those numbers up before. But then the four in my mind disappeared. And I'm like, wait a second, one plus two plus three plus five isn't 15. That's why I was still uh, thinking about but, it. But that's exactly, but that's the whole point of it is that, that if you would have had it written down, you wouldn't have had that scenario. So mm-hmm. when you do your financials, and if you're like, I'm not sure what bucket this goes in, make a notation mm-hmm. in, your, in, the, in the, your program, on a notebook or something, so that when you have the, so in six months when you go to make the same entry again, because it just is a rare one, you're not going, wow, which, where did I put this? What did I do? Well, if you know you have notations, it's easy then to just look it up and say, okay, this is where I did it, so we're going to consistently stay with that. Yeah. So, yeah. so having things written down is goes so much farther than just thinking you're going to remember it. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. I want to pivot one more time. All right. Are we good? I think so. This one's a little bit of a bigger pivot. Oh no. Okay. How do we overcome overconfidence? <laughs> um. I- I want to hear your answer because <laughs> <laughs> you fall into that category probably a little bit more than me. Being you know, overconfident. I'm, even though I'm guilty of it too. Oh, man. I am, I'm really guilty of it. I, I, see, my, my problem is, is that when I, when I get into making a decision, whatever it may be, I, I make the decision and I move on. And I don't worry about the what ifs. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to worry about the what ifs. If the decision ends up being wrong... I just readdress the problem again. Does that make sense? I don't dwell on the what ifs. Okay, that's good and that's healthy, you know. But I'm going to put a couple more things out there because the you have a certain personality type. I want to put some tools out there that uh, appeal to all personality types because well, some people are overconfident naturally and yeah. they're easily they can easily pivot. But at the same time, you know, with that, it, it's rare when it comes to what I would deem a critical decision that I don't counsel with at least one other person. And I'm notorious. And I don't know if I ever in our years of knowing each other done this to you, but I I have other people. I do this to all the time. I'm like, I just need you to sit in this room and don't say anything because I need to talk out loud and I don't want to look like a moron and creepy guy in here talking to himself because talking through it out loud Okay, allows me to hear, see, understand it differently. And I'm amazed at how sometimes they'll just make one comment. The individual in the room, you know, I don't really silence them, but but if they make one comment, it allows me to connect the dot that I could not do on my own. Mm-hmm. So so uh, so counseling with someone else, even if that counseling is just, I just need you to listen to me and point out the one flaw in all of my thinking so I can reconnect the dots is huge for me. I think that that's an excellent, and, and that's what I was talking about, you know, broadening the circle, uh, because regardless of your personality type, being able to counsel, some people, you know, they want that counseling session to be, hey, just just be in this room, I'm going to talk out loud. Other people, they are, you know, they, they're more uh, kind of a pensive person, you know, they thought, yeah. thoughtful, and they want to hear the other person talk. You know, there's like, you talk, I'm going to be thinking while right. you're talking, you know. So, I mean, you, you can counsel from different directions. It doesn't have to be done in a certain way. But, yeah, the, uh, the exterior counsel, oh, super and, powerful. And generally, 
if you really want the best counsel, don't don't go to someone who uh, is familiar with the situation or the scenario you're dealing with. Because mm-hmm. there there's some biases that are being brought into it. Go to someone who has no perspective on it that occasionally might ask the odd question, well, why this? Or tell me more about that. Yeah. And, and don't go to someone that you're married to or dating. Yeah. <laughs> they're okay most of the time. They're, but They're okay? But sometimes they're too intimate with a lot of those factors in it that that they're kind of seeing it from your angle, unfortunately. Or they're trying to impress you or not hurt your feelings. Yeah, that's true. You know, if they if they have a fear of uh, repercussion, and that repercussion yeah. could just be as simple as, well, if I don't agree with you, then you're going to get all upset and I have to deal with you, and I don't want to deal with you being upset. You know, and I guess I, I could extend it to just be, you know, be choosy with, you know, if you're talking to coworkers or, you know, right. employees or supervisors or whoever, you know, like be picky but as who you're talking you're to. You're right. The, the stranger, if they say you're, your thinking's flawed, you know, you're not going to take offense. You'll actually go, hmm, that's very interesting. And you'll actually put some weight onto it and, and review it differently. So I, I agree that be, I, I do... I do agree with that one. Pick my, and choose who you counsel with. Yeah, my wife gets mad at me all the time. She's like, I told you that. And the second that they <laughs> say the same thing, you're like, that's a great idea. Yes, I call it the Scooby-Doo scenario. I don't know. I love, I grew up with Scooby-Doo as a cartoon. <laughs> Loved Scooby-Doo. And so, interesting enough, I got gray hair. And I still love watching Scooby-Doo. But I'm amazed at how many times Scooby will make a suggestion or Shaggy will make a suggestion. And then Fred will go, hey, we should do this one. And then... <laughs> And Daphne and Velma were like, great idea, Fred, you know, and, and it was Scooby or Shaggy that came up with it or vice versa. Sometimes Scooby-Doo will say something and Shaggy will come in with that. So I call it the Scooby-Doo scenario that, that uh, yeah, that you make the suggestion, but you're really not paying attention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> so uh, another thing in decision making is be careful to set yourself up in a situation that elicits a bad decision. Uh, so, you know, explain that more. Cause that's, that's a deep concept. Y- yeah. The, the, and this one happens a lot and we don't recognize it often because it is kind of a deep concept. So as an owner, you are creating an environment. And if you're creating an environment that lends itself to poor decision-making, you're going to end up with poor decisions and not even realize it. So it's Correct. just like this, <clears throat> you know, if I live somewhere that has terrible air pollution and I try and go running and I come back and I'm like, oh, I've got asthma. Is it that I have asthma or is it that I'm trying to run in real, in a really bad environment? And so if we set up bad environments, then we're going to have bad decisions that are going to happen. They're going to hinder us. And it's the environment that we need to change, not necessarily the decision-making process. So let me put some tangibles around this to to hopefully make a little bit more sense. So uh, surrounding yourself with yes-men is a bad environment. Correct. And you've got to realize, have you trained people to be a yes-man? What is the effect if someone disagrees you know, do they get punished for it? Do they get publicly humiliated? Man, public humiliation for it's a making huge a huge com- deterrent. Yeah, 
And it happens. Whether you intend it or not, there is public humiliation that is guaranteed to happen in your organization. So you've got to identify what that humiliation is and what the impact of that humiliation was. Do people look at that and they say, oh, I can take risks and I'm not punished and I'll just get, you know, people just tease me a little bit. Or are they going to say, man, last time I took a, a risk, I got hung out to dry. I'm not taking a risk again. You know, and I've seen amazing managers who will withhold their insight because they put a suggestion out one time and it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And now there's like, I'm not sharing anything with it. They can figure it out on their own. And, and, and you've created this culture and you don't even know it because they're withholding their insight. Oh, that, that's interesting, and I've, I didn't, haven't thought of it that way, but I actually just recently had some interaction with a company that um, when suggestions were put forth, um, even though the suggestion may have not have been implemented, there was still a reward for making the suggestion. Yeah. I was blown away because now people are more apt to, even if it's driven for a selfish reason, to even make suggestions because, uh, you know, and then if, if it was adopted, then then there was even a greater reward. Mm-hmm. So suggestion, there was a small reward just to say, look, we, we value the input, we need the input, but we also want you to know that just because we don't use it doesn't mean there was no value. Mm-hmm. It just, when we looked at all the pictures and the options, it wasn't the right one for this scenario. So sometimes that is taken as in, you didn't listen to me. Yeah. And, and so they're trying to break that part of the culture by saying, no, you still get a reward uh, for making that suggestion because we want you to continue to do suggestions knowing that it, it may not be implemented every time, but like I said, you, we don't want you to feel it as a penalty. So if you want to understand this, the best way that I would recommend for understanding this is to ask yourself, who have you stopped giving advice to because of their actions or their response to your advice? We all have people that we've stopped yeah, giving advice to. True. Where it's like, I'm sorry, I will never talk to my sister about politics again. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. And, and if, it's, if it's that simple, look at what, what was the environment that was created? Why... Right. Will you not talk about this subject? What made it taboo? And then if you can understand some of those, you know, that environment, if you can understand what's creating that environment, then step two is to take that into your management team and say, okay, where did we do that same thing? What are the taboos mm-hmm. in, you know, in these meetings that people are not giving me their best advice, they're not giving me their best opinions because of this risk-reward you know, scenario that's been created. Right. So another one that I want to point out is things that will hide, um, that will hide bad decisions so that you don't recognize that it was a bad decision, especially until much later. So if you have a huge influx of cash, you know, if you have an investor that just came on board and they put a lot of, you know, cash into your business, we saw, man, when, when COVID hit, there was money that was being just doled out left and right. right. People were getting all this money that they didn't have to work or earn. And all of a sudden they could do things. You would see people that would make decisions that they would not have made without that cash. So they changed their decision-making model 
and they lost a lot of the natural checks and balances because of the ease at which that cash came. Risk. See, I put it in that risk category. What are the levels of risk? Well, if it was easy money and the risk was low, I don't care if I really lose it. Mm -hmm. I don't care if this decision had good information backing it because uh, what did I care? It was free money. Yeah. And and so if you've received an infusion of, of capital of any kind, you know, a loan, an investment, you know, grant money, uh, crowdfunding money, whatever. If you've received that, the quality of your decisions have naturally gone down. It's hindered the quality of your decision-making process. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are at making decisions. You now have just created an environment that is harder to make good decisions in. And so being aware of that environment, it doesn't mean that that's bad. It, you know, I'm not saying, hey, stop all investment because now you're, you're making it difficult to make decisions. I'm saying that money is changing your decision-making process. And every time you add money, the greater the money, the easier the money came, the poorer the decisions will tend to be because of it. Great. Well, here's my probably my concluding thought is – um, we try to try to do the same process with decision making, but um, a lot of times I look at decisions similar to water, uh, okay. <laughs> which is, sounds kind of weird. But let's hear it out. Flows downhill. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so water is an amazing uh, an amazing element, I guess. I don't. It's more than just an element, but uh, because water is liquid, you can drink it, but at the same time, you can freeze it. It has a completely different application that's very powerful. On the third side of it is steam. Mm-hmm. When it gets so hot, it becomes steam, and that has other properties that allow things to be done. Well, too often we try to just put liquid water for every decision, and we need to be mature enough to make sure that we understand the power of the resources and the tools and the people that we have so that we're applying it appropriately, that we use liquid water when we need liquid we're using a solid when we need to float across the water and we're using steam when we need to turn a turbine does that make mm-hmm. sense and don't get stuck in the decision making of uh we're only going to use liquid water that's that's what we do no because that resources and the resources that we have whether that be money people ourselves uh education etc that that we use it appropriately given the decision-making process so we don't get stuck in that rut of making poor decisions. So, uh, I love that analogy. I think that's really good. Uh, easier said than done. Oh, how, yes. How, how do you do that? You know, because we're creatures of habit. We say the same things. We do the same things, you know. Well, we probably what we probably are really ought to do is have another episode and just talk about change because I, change is what allows us to become and break that creature of habit. Not that we still don't form habits, but change allows us to do things. You know, I, people joke at me all the time because, especially my kids, when I when I drive to work, uh, I drive to work. I try to take you know where I can a different path into work every day. And at first, my kids were confused about how <laughs> how you get to work or go home because they didn't know how to really get out of the town per se because I would take a different road. But I do that on purpose to break that routine and that monotony of this is how I get to work. Yeah. It forces, you know, that extra little path I take that takes five seconds longer to get to work. It forces me to deal with change. So there's a lot of things we are probably ought to do a thing just because I, that's the answer to your question is that, that you have to learn to become comfortable with change. Yeah. So speaking of water, 
We're going to kick off that change episode with the Wim Hof method. Uh, And I don't even know what that is. (laughs) So there's this guy named Wim Hof who uh, he... Well, save it, save it, save it. Oh, okay, okay. Otherwise, you're going to do the episode. So let's save it as a teaser because I am uh, curious to hear about it. It it, it has to do with ice baths. So we're going to tie in your water and change with Wim Hof. All right, perfect. All right. So with that, since I'm not allowed to do anything else, we'll close the episode (laughs) out. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Bye, everyone. Take control of your business today. Go to learndesk.us and search marketing management and money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions. 